Okay. Um, thank you to the musicians for serving us so well there. And uh, it was a very tender session, wasn't it? Just to uh, we we've got to learn more and more just how to this com uh, this beautiful combination between. Um, <laughs> it's gone mad. Uh, we've got to learn this this beautiful combination between servanthood and flowing with the Holy Spirit, because the, those two things are such beautiful qualities to have as a culture, and and uh, we just need to learn more and more about just thinking. How do I serve? How do I serve? You know, it's just a lovely, it's a lovely culture, um, and I really want to encourage us in that. And. Uh, just to be very responsive to the Spirit. I mean, we've got to be, even though we have these kind of, we've got an agenda for these two days, but I never want us to get so that we can't just scrap the whole thing if God turns up, you know, because <laughs> he sometimes overlays his agenda on ours. And uh, I've been uh, just talking a little bit to Simon Holly recently, and he, he said he'd really felt a sense of um, uh, God really wanting to turn a tap on for us in a, in a fresh way, in a new way, of, of greater Holy Spirit deluge, uh, not not saying that there's not that's not happening, but just more, just just more. And um, I, I kind of feel I just want to learn in that. I want to say, Lord, show us, uh, show us, how, because we we need to learn more and more to be men and women who who really do flow in in what God's doing. Um, that's a that's a beautiful thing. So we'll explore that more over the the coming days. But I'm I'm grateful just for. Goff's sensitivity, just picking up what God was doing, and just Angela bringing that encouragement to turn it into ministry and the different words. It's good. We've got to, we've got to really uh, learn more and more how to do that. So I'm just going to speak for a little while about, about prayer. Um, as I hinted at yesterday, just to try and give a little bit of a context for this um, prayer initiative that... That, that um, makes it sound so businessy. It's just a heart for... For prayer that I think God's just stirring in me, and I, I feel I want to learn, and I feel we need to learn together. If you'd like to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11, there's just, there's just one verse, and I've called, called this session, Kindling the Fire of Prayer Amongst Us. Um, and I'll just try and share my heart a little bit, really, and hopefully that will... That will what I'd love to happen is that somehow what God's just been burning in my heart by his spirit he'll ignite your heart because I don't want to just give you information I really pray that there'll be impartation and, and I can't do that that's that's a work of God uh, so father I pray that as we just look at this if I really heard you right Lord which I, I do believe you've spoken to me about this I pray Lord I, I need your help now to impart fire to us, that a fire that is of you, not of my, not of my verbiage, but of your spirit, just rests on us. That something is kindled this morning, that in due course will become a forest fire. Lord, I want to ask you for that. I want to ask you for the small sparks of kindling to be lit in this room. And I want to pray a big prayer, Lord. I want to pray that thousands of people will have their hearts set on fire afresh for prayer. I want to ask you, Lord, that even with our small, frail efforts and our limited ability, 
Lord, which we know, that we know we are very frail. But Lord, I, I would dare to believe you. I would dare to believe you that from this room, this upper room context, something of your fire could fall that would affect thousands. And that as a result, we would see things happen that would not have happened had we not prayed. Lord, I believe it's that serious and it's that important and it's that much on your heart. So just help me, Lord, please, in, these, in this time, in, in these minutes we have now to, to help convey something of what I believe you've just begun to kindle in me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now the verse in question simply says this. Well, let me put it in, in context. Paul is writing to the Corinthians again, his second letter, and he begins by recounting the distress and crisis um, that he faced, uh, uh, the drama in his life that unfolded, um, uh, uh, that he writes of in the first ten verses. So he says, I don't want you to be, um, to be unaware of the affliction we experienced in Asia. This is a man who's been, who's following apostolic um, momentum. He, he's, he and the family of churches, as it were, working with him, of just seeking to be obedient to the prophetic leading. He's, he's done obedient things with his, with his churches, with his team. Uh, and as he writes to Corinth, he begins by just being very vulnerable and saying, please don't think this has been easy. Uh, that we're facing really considerable challenges, so much so that at one point I even thought, I don't know if I can carry on living. I mean, that's, 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 pretty, that's pretty vulnerable, isn't it, just to say that to, to, to Corinth particularly. As the first thing you write, you perhaps kind of, I don't know, go into just helping them a little bit and then talk about your personal needs at the end. But Paul goes right into it and says, you know, I don't want you to be unaware I want you to know what we were facing. Basically, what it, and then he then he says, when he set out the, the 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 context, he says, "You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many." So he outlines the, the strain, and his first request. His, his, his having painted the picture, the first thing he says is, you must help us by prayer. You must help us by prayer. He doesn't ask for anything. He says, must help us by prayer. What he does is he creates an awareness of the drama that is the apostolic mission around him. And I was talking to Terry the other week. I, I've just popped down to see him you know, a couple of times a year. We just try and yeah, just spend a bit of time together, and that's always a blessing for me. I hope it is for him. <laughs> um, and I was just talking to him about prayer and telling him a little bit about the ideas I'd got about corporate prayer. And he said he'd once done a study in the book of Acts, and he found that every prayer meeting in the book of Acts took place in the context of drama and crisis. That it was either after a crisis they prayed, or as they were heading into one, they prayed. And his point was this. Prayer is at its best in the context of drama. Uh, and if you think about it, um, that's actually what Paul has done. He's, he's, create, he's not a drama queen. He's, 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 he's letting them know, look, we're facing some, there's some big issues here. 
pray. Now, if he'd just said pray without giving the drama context, the response probably would have been less. And I think the reason that many of our prayer meetings can just become um, a religious duty rather than a urgent plea is because we lose the sense of drama that prayer is supposed to be birthed in. Prayer is supposed to be a dramatic response to something. It is a, it's, it's, it's always coming out of, Lord, you've got to do something. Lord, you've got to do... It is, now, when we have our you know, daily walks with God, obviously you don't want to create a drama every morning for yourself. I, I, I'm talking about corporate prayer here. <laughs> Most of life is full of those daily moments anyway. But I'm talking about corporate prayer. There, there's something about co- God's people caught up with a sense of drama that it's like fire. It it, it catches light. You don't have to worry about the intensity of a prayer meeting if people are aware of a crisis. Now, just to point out the obvious, if you look at our world at the moment, if this is not a crisis, I, I don't know what is. I mean, this is... There are unprecedented things on our news. I don't even want to turn it on sometimes. I think, what's happening now? I don't even know how news editors make their decisions anymore. Because there's so much. Uh, The whole nations are in turmoil on the global scene. If we look at our own nation uh, and nations in the West, the the breakdown of society, the, the extraordinary depths of brokenness around us everywhere the need for god to revive the church so that she she rises out the dust and begins to believe in herself again that we don't see culture so shaping church's doctrine that we now call black white and white black and right wrong and wrong right there's a there's a a massive massive crisis around us dramatic proportions surround us on every side. If this is not the moment to say, you also must help us by prayer, then when is? Paul is saying here, we are doing what God's called us to do. He's not losing his confidence in the apostolic vision. We've got things God's called us to do. We were praying about them yesterday. We've been praying about them in a little while. God has spoken to us things he wants us to do. Nations he wants us to do. Breathtaking things that I think, how on earth do we do that? I'm totally confident God's spoken to us. Are you? Beyond, Beyond any doubt. I think God has spoken. But I'm still saying, God, this is a crisis of a large proportion that you've called us to do something in a context when the world is in seeming meltdown. You also must help us by prayer. This is the time for the prayers of many. And it's that first point I just want to draw out. He says, you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted, look at this, through the prayers of many. Now, Paul places store here on the multitude of people involved as, in this context, key to the effectiveness of what he wants to see happen. Now, we, in Scripture, we can see times when one man or one woman changes the course of events by one prayer. Uh, not disputing that. In this context, 
which seems to me to be an apostolic context of momentum, Paul is saying, many prayers are what I need in order for this, the prayers, sorry, the prayers of many people are what I need to get breakthrough in this situation. He's not saying, I've got one or two prayer partners that I'm sharing some needs with. He's saying, prayers of many people, you must help us. Many people must get behind this apostolic momentum and pray for it. Many people. It seems that's what he's carrying with him. God seems to ordain at times that the prayers of many are required. And I felt the Lord speaking to me, just to apply it to us, I I felt the Lord speaking to me about the role of corporate prayer amongst us, specifically intercession. It's not so much um, an emphasis on stimulating prayer in the lives of individuals, although that's vital, but it's stimulating a life of prayer amongst us as a family of churches. And I felt the Lord spoke to me just this one word, uh, enough, and it's got two components. It's, Lord, you are enough, so so when we pray, we're celebrating who he is, We're, we're concentrating on his character, his nature, his attributes. Lord, you are enough for whatever crisis and drama we are facing. So when we pray, we're praying to the one we know can do something about it. If we don't have that as our anchor, then all we're doing when we pray is worrying out loud. Well, that, that's not prayer. You're just vocalizing what you're worried about inside. That is not prayer. <laughs> prayer is saying, Lord, you are enough. Then the other part of the word is, Lord, enough of this. You are enough of this because you are enough. The two things work together. Appreciation of who God is, worship of who God is, in the context of intercessory asking of God for things are the two components, I think, that are necessary for fervent intercessory prayer to be effective in church life. And those are the things that I feel God is stirring me about. If I can just give you a bit of a vision of what I saw, uh, I, I don't know whether this prof- was kind of prophetic or whether it's me just kind of dreaming where it could go. I, I, I don't know. I'll just tell you what I, what I saw. I just felt I'd like to begin by imagining that um, three times a year uh, on a half night of prayer, kind of 8 p.m., 12 p.m., three times a year, we issue invitation to every church to get involved. We have we start with centres, and I perhaps try and just just share my heart and train a few a few uh, men and women just to, to to lead and host these these things with a, with a common agenda, where we we contextualise it locally in certain parts of the of the meeting. We we bring things together for everyone to pray about certain things that we're all praying about. That that whole evening. And I've gathered a few uh, men and women together just to help people who are very, help us with creativity. We'll get some brilliant ideas coming out, which we'll, we'll roll out uh, over time. But the idea was I, 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 could, I just wanted to believe, Lord, would you give us a thousand people for our first one? Now, that sounds a bit crazy when we try to think, can we get 30 to the prayer meeting that we do weekly? But I think this is urgent. This, this is urgent. This matters. And somehow I felt almost that it might even come to the point where if we just start something, it might even climb over the walls into other spheres or networks or other churches that others might just want to join in 
And we're not holding this up as ours. We're just lighting a fire and let it go wherever. I, I just felt there's something we need to do. That it becomes apostolic vision and the DNA of prayer go together. They really do. We can't have an expansive agenda without having an expansive prayer infrastructure. You, you, you can't do that. Uh, I, I, uh, I mean, Sue and I have a, like a little Facebook group of people who pray for us, and I just put stuff on there, just diary stuff, and I don't put a great deal of you know other stuff on there, just because I think I dare not do anything that I do without prayer. I mean, we do have an enemy. We have an enemy, and the only thing that defeats him is prayer. I mean, is that right? I mean, so you don't want to kind of go into battle without any weapons. It's, it's stupid. It's, it's, and I think we, because we, prayer is such a difficult thing to grasp, we think, well, I've just said these words to God. I can't see a result. Has that done anything? Yes, it has. Something's happened that wouldn't have happened if you hadn't have said it. There's, a, there's an engagement in the activity that God invites us to. As I was thinking about all this stuff, I came across this book, and I kind of, it was like one of those moments when I felt the Lord say, Go on, I am with you in this, go on. And I came across this book by Jonathan Edwards called A Call to United Extraordinary Prayer uh, and Humble Attempt, he put in brackets. So he, probably like me, felt, I don't know if this is going to work. And the more you read it, you just think, uh, it's how he was talking. And basically what he did was he wrote to all the churches that he had some connection with in different nations, and he did exactly what I've just outlined to you. I didn't even know that had happened. I just found the book afterwards. And then I thought, man, alive, this is not, this is not something that hasn't been done before. There's, there's precedent for this kind of thing. And um, he, uh, if I can just read one bit here. We've got one or two, one or two copies of this book on the bookstore. You can get it on Kindle as well if we run out. But if, if you want to get some of the... It's, this is out of print, right? This, this book is out of print. So the, the, the ones we've got, when they've gone, they've gone. But you can get it uh, on, on Kindle. But if you can get a paper copy, I think it's, it's sometimes better just to be able to, to do that. Um, so uh, there's a bit he says here... Um, I'm just trying to find the, uh, the right bit. Here we go. He says... I hope that um, we are convinced it is our duty to comply with and encourage this design and we ought to remember that we go not only we sorry we go not only speedily to pray before the lord and seek his mercy but we also go constantly we should unite in our practice to th- these two things which our savior unites in his precept praying and not fainting if we should continue some years Right, just, just see his heart in this. If we should continue some years and nothing remarkable in providence should appear, <laughs> as though God heard and answered, we should act very unbecoming believers if we should therefore begin to be disheartened and grow dull and slack in seeking of God so great a mercy. Here, listen to this. It is very apparent from the word of God that he is often wont to try the faith and patience of his people when crying to him for some great and important mercy by withholding the mercy sought for a season. Not only so, but at first to cause an increase of dark appearances. And yet he without fail at last 
succeeds those who continue instant in prayer with all perseverance and will not let him go except he blesses. There's something he's saying, get some guts, guys. And even if you start praying and it seems to have got worse, don't give up. Because God is often saying, come on, come on, how bad do you want this? God is not always cuddly. He's sometimes like someone in a gym saying, come on, you can push that. You can do that, another rep. You can do that. Come on, what are you made of? There's something about God saying, look, come on, lift it, lift it, higher, higher. We think, oh, no, he's gentle. No, he is not. He, that is a, where, he is when he wants to be, but at times he says, come on, how much do you want this? It's not anger and frustration. It's, he, it's almost like he looks at us and says, there's more in you than that. I know there's more in you than that. You're better than that. Come on, you can do this. We can do this. And Edwards is saying, uh, they committed together for seven years to do these extraordinary prayer meetings, half nights of prayer, seven years, whether anything changed or not. I mean, that's something. Amazing. The thing he makes the point is that our prayers also are rooted in, in prophetic promises. It's about what has God said um, in, in the book also, he says, I love this quote, he says, That which God abundantly makes the subject of his promises, God's people should make abundantly the subject of their prayers. Do you get that? I love that. That which God abundantly makes the subject of his promises, God's people should make abundantly the subject of their prayers. Now, we have learned and are learning, uh, I think, as a, as a family of churches and more generally in the in the kind of charismatic, if I can put it, put it that way, uh, sort of um, type of church. We're learning how to be prayed for, how to pray for people, how to receive from the Lord in prayer. Uh, how to, uh, we're learning about the sanctifying and empowering touch of the Spirit as we wait on the Lord, as we've just demonstrated. Uh, and that's beautiful. Don't want to lose that. That's beautiful. That's something that's being, being restored. But, there is a but, fervent Petition, supplication, requesting, asking are often foreign to God's people, I think. We've lost the art of asking. Apart from, Lord, would you help me with this issue? I'm talking about asking God for things to change. I think many Christians have don't even know how they can articulate that to God in a way that is appropriate. Now, I started to look through some of this, and I'm more convinced than ever, God has chosen us to be askers. Now, prayer is about asking. The Bible says, you know, you have not because you ask not. The Bible says, present your requests with Petition, supplication, with thanksgiving, but let your requests be made known. When you pray, uh, say, and then there's this list of these things. Jacob wrestled with God. I won't let you go until you bless me. There's something about this that is really important. Being persistent, the, 
the, the story of the importunate widow uh, is given by Jesus to illustrate the need of fervent, uh, unapologetic, somewhat, somewhat um, assertive asking that we might feel a little uncomfortable with. But that's what Jesus uses to encourage us. I looked up the word importunate because it's not a word that we use very often, but other words like it are persistent, insistent, tenacious, persevering, dogged, unremitting, unrelenting, tireless, indefatigable, (laughs) urgent or persistent in solicitation, sometimes annoyingly so. Pertinacious, I don't even know what that means. Uh, Troublesome, annoying, used often, uh, it could be used to say, the importunate demands from the children for attention. Now, Jesus is saying that is what corporate intercession should feel like. Does that feel a foreign concept or am I the only one? Uh, I I think, where's, where's that gone? Where did we lose that? Where did we suddenly become so polite? God is not looking for polite. He's looking for people who will lay hold of him and say, Lord, you have said, you have said, I will not go until you bless me. It's in the word. It's in the word. God loves it when we get hold of something and say, Lord, it's here. It's here. You've put it here. Lord, I'm asking you. You, you are the one whose word never fails. You never fails. You've put it in here. Let it be seen on earth as it is in heaven. There's something about having this attitude in us. And, and I could just say, what if we got thousands of people? Just dream a bit with me here. What, what, what if there was just, we walked, that Korea actually got jealous of us. I mean, what, 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 we're still we're the same human beings, aren't we? We think, oh, it's happening in Korea, they know how to pray. We are the same people. What, what, is, what is it? There's something that's possible for God to, to do. D.A. Carson says the easiest thing about prayer is giving up. He says, we are like the little boy. We, he says, we are like the little boy who rings the doorbell and then runs away. That's, that's Western prayer. Ding dong, need to charge. It's, no, that's not prayer. It's the easiest thing to give up. Persistence alone brought the answer, is the point Jesus is making in the story of the widow and the judge. Persistence brought the answer. If she wasn't persistent, she'd have been standing at the door and the judge would have stayed asleep. He's making a point. Be persistent. Do not give up. It's, this is not kind of prayer out of strained effort. It's out of redemptive ease. But the reason we make it assertive is because we're bringing back to God things he said. So it's not like, right, let's all whip ourselves up into a frenzy. It's like, no, Lord, even our our, our assertive prayers can be very, very tender in the way we speak, but they are of an iron will. (laughs) They are saying, well, Lord, it's like this. You've said this, so until you do it, I'm not stopping asking you. Amen. <laughs> now, that's just as persistent, annoyingly so, if you keep doing it until you get an answer. Jesus, I, I think he wants us to get in the gymnasium a bit and, and, and get, some, get, some, get some muscle here. And amen, yeah? 
There's something, and it's not, it's not a macho thing. It's like, this is, the, this is an inner strength. Paul said, you must help us by prayer. That's a gym instructor. You must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted through the prayers of many. Um, so it's a, it's a spirit of prayer we need. God's got to do this. I can, I can talk about this, but God's got to do this. Because this is crazy what I'm suggesting. That people three times a year are going to give up a Friday night, eight till midnight, and they're going to ask God for things that they may not see answers to for many years. That's crazy. But it's also in the Bible. And it's how the New Testament, it's the context of, of the, the fire of New Testament values spread in the early church, it was through fervent believing prayer in the context of drama. In the context of drama. D.A. Carson again says, Paul, commenting on this, is Paul counted on the prayers of the churches to gain for him what might not otherwise be given. Just think about that. Paul counted on the prayers of the churches to gain for him what might not otherwise be given. There's a serious thing here. If we ask not, uh, we, we, we might have not. Just make a couple of points about um, James Fraser. If, if we've got some of these on the bookshelf as well, Mountain Rain. Hands up if you've not, not read Mountain Rain. Oh, glory, hallelujah, help Jesus. This is, this is a s- bordering on sinful. Um, you, you, you must buy this book... And I will ask next time whether you've not read it, and there will be punishments. <laughs> Mountain rain is, I have no words. It, it, it is simply, you have to read it. it. It is the beautiful story of James Fraser, written by his daughter, Eileen Crossman, outlining some of his journals his, and how he coped. He went into a pioneering situation in China, and it's his story of the reality of church, church planting. It's just an extraordinary book. I would, if, you, if this is anything to give a recommendation, this book and probably uh, Diary and Life by uh, um, Andrew Bonar would be my top two books of all time. I can't give a better, better, better recommendation than that. Mountain Rain, I just think, is just superb. So please buy it and read it. I'll just give you some, some quotes from it, um, because if those of you who haven't read it, you need to... Here's some of this stuff. If you want to get a, a bit of an insight into it, Phil Moore has done a series of blogs uh, looking at lessons learned from James Fraser. So if you, if you Google Phil's blog, it's brilliant. So I'm, I'm actually reading from his blog. Uh, so let me just, just bear with me as I just... This puts contextualizes a little bit about what I've been saying. Yeah, just in the, the, the... It's quarter two we finish, is that right? Is that... Oh, it's got five minutes. Okay, it's great. Um, James Fraser's first eight years in China were very hard. He bore very little fruit for all of his labor, but he turned those fruitless years to good by learning through his struggles that the task of reaching the Lisu, which was the people he was going to, was completely beyond him. <laughs> which I just can't do it. It could only be achieved by the power of God, and as a result, if he saw any kind of breakthrough, then all the glory would go to God alone. He wrote home to the leader of his old Bible study group in England to confess It seems a big responsibility to be the only preacher of the gospel within a radius of 150 miles. I feel my weakness very much. 
Yet the, the Lord seems to delight in making his power perfect in weakness. Convinced that God's power is made perfect in weakness, Fraser began to spend more and more time alone with God in prayer. He became convinced that the only hope for the Lisu was for him to develop an intimate friendship with God on their behalf. At the end of his first eight unfruitful years, now think about this church planters, the end of his first eight unfruitful years, eight unfruitful years, we would have said at probably year five, come home, you're clearly not called, you're clearly not gifted. Eight unfruitful years, James Fraser concluded the breakthrough, he concluded the breakthrough could only come through prayer. He wrote, he's a quick learner. He wrote in his diary on the 5th of February 1916 that, quote, the outlook here in Tantash at present seems less hopeful than at any time since I first set foot in the place. I am now setting my face like a flint. If the work seems to fail, then pray. If services fail, fall flat, pray still more. If months slip by with little or no result, then pray still more and get others to pray and help you. The more he prayed, the more he became convinced that God would give him what he prayed for and that God would enable him to pray the prayer of faith for the Lisu people. Quotes, I knew that the time had come for the prayer of faith. I have never repeated the request, and I never will. There is no need. The asking, the taking, the receiving occupy but a few moments. The past can never be undone, never need be redone. It is a solemn thing to enter into a faith covenant with God. I arose with a deep, restful conviction that I had already received the answer. I mean, this is a man who, in the gymnasium, they I just said a short prayer, but enough, enough. He got it. I only need to tell you because you can do it. He got it. A few months after this pivotal night he spent in prayer, a massive spiritual breakthrough suddenly occurred among the Lisu. Scores of families were converted to Christ in each village he visited, and they started to spread the gospel proactively themselves. This mass turning to Christ provoked heavy persecution. Christian girls were kidnapped and threatened into marrying animist men. But by 1918, just two years after the move of God began in the mountains of Lisuland, a stunning 60,000 people in the province had been baptized. Baptized. Not just from the Lisu, but also from many other Chinese people groups. He found that resistance to the devil and his demons in prayer was an essential aspect of the breakthrough among the Lisu. He wrote in his journal, seemed distinctly led to fight against principalities and powers for Middle Village. Sounds like Lord of the Rings, doesn't it? He, he told his friends back in England, I like to read passages of scripture such as 1 John 3.8 or Revelation 12.11 in prayer as direct weapons against Satan. However much he resisted the devil and his demons in prayer, James Fraser spent even more time in prayer to God the Father. He would give the Lisu people to his son. He believed that Jesus had brought the Lisu with his blood and had asked the Father for their salvation. Fraser was merely adding his own prayers to the request in Jesus' name. Fraser recruit, recruited a small band of praying supporters back in England who were willing to pray intensely with him for his work among the Lisu. He sent them long letters describing each village, mapping it out and describing key individuals in incredible detail. So they later told him they felt they knew the Lisu villages better than they knew the streets of their own town. He told them that, I believe it will only be known on the last day how much has been accomplished in missionary work by the prayers of earnest believers at home. 
solid, lasting missionary done, work is done on our knees. What I covet more than anything else is earnest, believing prayer. Sounds like Paul. Fraser became convinced that prayer could result, prayer alone could result in mass salvation amongst the Lisu, writing, we cannot fret people into the kingdom of heaven, and I never now try to persuade the Lisu to become Christians. I found they are quite unstable and unsatisfactory unless they turn with all their heart. He also became convinced that only prayer could result in the genuine discipleship of the Lisu who were converted. When heavy snowfall prevented him from visiting his converts in the mountain villages for eight months of the year, he decided to spend the time he would have spent traveling back and forth, praying for them instead. The results of his experiment were astounding. The converts in the, mid, in the mountain villages grew much faster than his converts in the lowlands, despite the fact that he was with them all year round. If I were to think after the manner of men, I should be anxious about my Lisu converts, afraid of their falling back into demon worship. But God is enabling me to cast all my care upon him. I am not anxious, not nervous. If I hugged my care to myself instead of casting it upon him, I should never have persevered in this work so long, perhaps never even have started it. But if it has been begun in him, it must be continued in him. He added, if two things stand out clearly in my mind, they are firstly how foolish and weak our new converts are, and secondly, that God really has chosen them. If you could come out here and see how useless mere preaching and persuasion is among these people, you would understand this better. One feels so helpless in the face of their ignorance and need. I mean, he's getting it. Are you getting it? This is, this is he's learning. Lastly, because I, I this just hopefully this is, this is a man who's done it. Fraser became convinced that prayer was not an add-on to the work of changing a community for Christ. It was everything. The difference between great success and abject failure. He quotes, I used to think that prayer should have the first place and teaching the second. I now feel it would be truer to give prayer the first, second and third place and teaching the fourth. Most of the British in China were traders, so he reflected that. I feel like a businessman who perceives that a certain line of goods pays better than any other in his store and who purposes making it his chief investment. One who in fact sees an inexhaustible supply and an almost unlimited demand for a profitable article and intends to go for it more than anything else. The demand is the lost state of these tens of thousands of Lisu, their ignorance, their superstitions, their sinfulness, their bodies, their minds, their soul. The supply is the grace of God to meet his need, to be brought down to them by persevering prayers of a considerable company of God's people. All I want to do is be the kind of middleman to bring supply and demand together. So when we talk about enough, all we're talking about is being the middlemen between the supply and the demand. And somehow I kind of believe this is a day for being a little bit reckless and crazy and doing something bizarre that people might look at and say, what are those guys doing? This isn't strategically the right thing to do. This is, this is suicide in marketing terms. This is, this is completely everything you wouldn't do to get the movement up to the next level. We are doing everything to minimize our effectiveness by doing this. Inviting some people to something they won't want to come to to do something they don't want to do. 
Is that not where we are with prayer? And yet I think for some bizarre reason, God is asking us to do it. I just think he's asking us to do it. And I believe it will work. And I believe we'll look back on years to come and we'll say, thank God we did that. Thank God we took that risk. We, we, we put ourselves to the point of no return. Paul finishes by saying, you, also, you must pray, uh, help us by prayer through the prayers of many so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted. I believe in years to come, we will look back and say, thank you, Lord, that you helped us to learn how to pray together. So that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. There is blessing ahead. And I'm not asking us to step out into the flesh and just kind of grit our teeth and pray when we don't like to. I'm not asking that. I'm saying we take Jesus seriously when he says, or sorry, scripture seriously when it says, you don't know how to pray. Right, we all qualify, yeah? But the Holy Spirit helps you in your weakness and by him utters groans that cannot even be articulated. The Holy Spirit, if we are placing ourselves available for God to use, the Holy Spirit will come and help us with this initiative. He will help us to learn how to do it. He will help our people to get so on fire for prayer that we can't stop them. He will do that because he is able to help us in our inability to pray. Father, I pray that you would just cause there to be uh, an ignition in us right now, Lord, even, even though uh, our time's gone. Lord, I, I believe there's a deposit of faith that you want to put into us as, as, as key men and women involved in leadership in our churches. Lord, I pray that there'll be a fire starts from here that will spread from person to person, from church to church. I pray, Lord, that these enough events will be the place to be where people think, I just can't miss that because the last time we were there, it was extraordinary. I pray, Lord, that you'll do something in those prayer meetings. You'll teach us how to pray. You'll show us how to do it creatively. You'll show us the right centers, the right people to be involved in doing it, the the right use of technology and multimedia and all the stuff and different techniques for praying. Lord, help us to teach. Teach us how to pray, Lord. Teach us how to pray. Help us to do it in our day, in our generation, so that we're like... Like James Fraser, we, we find ourselves being middlemen for your purposes, just connecting supply and demand. Lord, I don't know how, what this is going to look like, but I pray for a thousand people, Lord. I pray for a thousand to begin this, that you'll help us to cast vision for a thousand people. May it even get up to 10,000 in years to come, Lord. Let us see something extraordinary happening in our nation. We're in a drama, Lord. We're in a crisis. We need you, Lord. We need to lay hold of you and say, Lord, we won't let you go till you bless us. We won't let you go. We will, we will keep asking, Lord, confident you're the one who, who intends to bless and pour out such salvation that thousands of people come to know you. You've done it before. You will do it again, Lord. We want to ask you to do it in Jesus' name. I'm just going to ask that we all just stand together. And I want you to cry out to God that he'd help teach you and your church how to pray. Just do that. Just ask God that he'll teach us. He'll get us in the gymnasium. He'll help us to do it beyond our human ability. We cry.
Just got a definition of the word pertinacious. Just let this get into your hearts. Determined, tenacious, persistence, assiduous, purposeful, resolute, dogged, indefatigable, insistent, single-minded, unrelenting, relentless, implacable, uncompromising, unyielding, tireless, unshakable, importunate, stubborn, mulish, Obstinate, obdurate, strong-willed, headstrong, inflexible, unbending, intransigent, intractable, pig-headed, stiff-necked, willful, refractory, contrary, perverse. Now, some of those you have to delete. But you get the idea. This is not a safe place we're creating. Lord, do it in us. Do it in us, Lord. Do it in us, Lord, that we look more like that than we do at the moment. Help us, Lord, to do it so it's honouring to you, but so that it draws out everything from you that you want to give. We ask you to do it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's applaud the Lord for what he's going to do. Thank you, Lord. We believe you, Lord. We believe you're going to help us, Lord. 